0: Hello there, lunchtime crew. Oh my goodness, my computer is crashing. Let me see if I can...
1: he's crashed. Welcome everyone to the Architecture Social. This episode Stephen speaks to me but the plot twist is Stephen is just a ghost. So I will be channeling Stephen's inner voice and interviewing myself. I don't even know if people can watch this. Are there comments
0: there are comments. Leave a comment if you can. If you can hear me, mate, this live stream is going to be <laughs> so powerful that my computer crashed.
1: Yeah. Did you hear any of that?
0: I didn't. I just heard woo, and then my computer crashed. I, I just love. held it down really well. You are the G. On that note, I don't even mm-hmm. need to do an in- introduction anymore. You don't need to be here. I don't even need to be here. No. Mark, I think Mark Zuckerberg is listening. That old Facebook. Bill Gates, move out of the way. I am so excited for today that I'm so glad that I am able to participate. And Nikhil is here. We got Sadell, he can hear us. They can hear us. Amazing. So on that note, I will try and do an introduction and let's hope I don't get kicked off. Hello, Lola. We're all here gathered today with the presenter, of the presenters in the architecture world but i'm going to interview him anyways because you'll have to put up with me as your host today and we're going to talk about all the ai that's going on in architecture and drawing attention slight pun there to maybe something that you'll find out a bit later but drawing attention in the digital age to architecture and what do we mean by that it's a busy world out there how do you cut through the noise how do you use all those t- tools like journey i don't know and other stuff i'm not the expert but that's the point i've got the expert here so hamza welcome to the stage how are you sir good thank you so much where are you where are you streaming from now that is a cool looking office this is my bedroom i Wow, you must be making a lot of money with AI if that's your bedroom. <laughs> Gee.
1: Yeah, elevators in the back, yeah, easy access. No, it's uh, this is the Gensler office. We're in London, in Moortown, Gensler London headquarters. Actually, sorry, European headquarters,
0: Ooh, but we're nice. global, obviously. I'm really pleased you hear So I'm going to give a round of applause if you can hear it. We can hear you any ways. Okay, so I'm going to bring up the links because the thing crashed but today we're going to talk a little bit more about a few things so you were on here a year and a half ago and I think at the time we were talking about the next generation of architects it's the next generation of the digital age and digital era so tell me Hamza what have you been up to in the last year and a half for everyone in the audience
1: it's been a storm it's been a storm and a half The main things of the book, so I wrote a book with Reba, with the Royal Institute of British Architects, called Drawing Attention, which is subtitled Architecture in the Age of Social Media. And that Mm -hmm. is all about showing and giving people an insight into drawing styles from all over the world, drawing processes, trying to demystify the drawing process. Because during architecture school, we all know that it's very difficult to try and find your drawing style or to even get drawing guidance so yeah that's why people took to social media and people went on instagram to go and find inspiration save things follow people blah 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 and it created this weird little natural niche of people which i found myself among for the last sort of four or five years maybe even longer of people mm-hmm. who would share their drawings and share the process so what i decided to do was try and grab all of those guys together you're seeing Eric Wong, for example, who's a Bartlett Prodigy student with CJ Lim Unit 10 and just try get behind the scenes and understand how he does his drawings and understand his drawing philosophy. But most importantly, show the process behind how he does those drawings. So it became a really passionate project for me because I was able to answer the questions everyone was asking me through a book. Yeah, And then the, what followed that was an exhibition, so I was then offered an opportunity to showcase all of these drawing works with drawings from the Drawing Matter Archive, which is in Somerset. It's from Neil Hobhouse, Drawing Matter, and so he has original drawings from people you may have heard of, Le Corbusier, Zaha Hadid, Aldo Rossi, Cedric Price, My Frank Gary. They,
0: they must have cost a few pounds, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, you might not have heard of those people if you have.
0: Well, uh, it's, pretty... it's Yeah, never yeah. heard of them. Who are they? No.
1: Yeah. So I got to go and see those drawings in primary format, and it was like I was like a child in a candy shop. But yeah. the, the concept of that exhibition then became how do we combine the old and the new? And right now it's on display at the Rocker Gallery. So if you guys are in London, please head down on the 29th until the 29th of July. That exhibition is running.
0: Oh, cool. Those Brilliant. are the
1: two main things, man. But there's so much going on,
0: especially in the AI world. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just bringing up your link now as well. So I'm going to, because cause, cause Mark Zuckerberg shut down all my links, Hamza. So I'm just yeah. bringing it up. I'm bringing it up again now. So let me show everyone where you can find out all this cool stuff. Oh, okay. Wow. That's a blank screen. So I think it might be Linktree, which is. Causing the drama here for some
1: uh. reason.
0: However, I've got the link here. So you can check out Hamza's stuff and it can pop up and you can have a little look at it. But I'm just going to bring it for us two for now. So You, you can just find... go to my Instagram and oh, yeah. link in you, bio. You do pop up straight away, you know. You are there. <laughs> you do pop up number one. So I was actually at your exhibition in the Rocket Gallery and it was really good. Now, one of the things I was really keen to talk to you about was that exhibition, which just seems really interesting because AI at the moment is in, it's not going away, and Mid Journey is there, and I think it's really been interesting and it's evolved even since I've seen it last year. But now we've got ChatGPT, and some people are embracing it, some people are scared of it. Now, your work embraces the old-school medium as well as the new-school medium. Okay, so tell me, first of all, why you started doing that. And then secondly, tell me how that's all going.
1: Yeah, so I'm no AI expert, at least not in the traditional sense. I'm no tech expert. I was never the grasshopper hoppers scripting guy. But I've always been passionate about experimental drawing methods. That's been my thing since I was a kid. <laughs> when I was a kid, I would just use anything and everything to make artistic things. And it was never precious to me. I would always throw it in the bin straight after making it. And even like my family and my brother, you just spent like the whole day doing that drawing and you just chucked it in the bin. So process has always been the most important thing to me, not the outcome. Hence I got involved in drawing method. So for me, it's how you do the drawing, how you communicate your drawing, which is the most exciting thing. So that actually led me into AI. And the reason is because AI, in of itself, is revolution revolutionising the way we do our visual communication. It's revolution right revolutionising the drawing method, the drawing process. Now you can go and code or prompt drawings and use it as an iterative tool which is where i'm really focused on with regards to midjourney is taking one of my drawings running it through image source referencing and extracting parts of that drawing and bringing it to life in breakneck speed and efficiency so midjourney is really becoming like a team of ideators working away in your mind mm. helping you to create your visions so for me yeah that's the key it's how do we use these innovative tools, and they really are tools. And I think when people sober up from this storm, they will realize that AI is not here to take your jobs and all this kind of malarkey. It's there as an insanely powerful tool, the same way the computer and the internet and social media came and were insanely powerful tools. So it's new magic powers. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. But we will always need to preserve and find ways to plug it in to our craft and i would even argue that people who move away from that and get lazy and try to do everything just through ai and think that it's over for us and they want to push that or pursue that that they're, they're going to struggle because yeah. at the end of the day
0: like humans crave human ideas mm, i agree i think that it's interesting because in terms of the content here yeah, apart from when Streamio tries to kick me out but i keep coming back The reality is you need content from humans. And I think that people worry about chat GPT replacing architects. So they really don't see that's the case because it's a tool that should be implemented and can be wielded to do results, which is what you're doing really, isn't it? And I saw Mm -hmm. a reel the other day where you, you had that sketch before and then you've got like an expanded universe that the AI has done around one of your buildings. However, that, that starting point came from you yeah definitely and then there's another argument
1: when you really get into the prompting that actually when you sat there refining this paragraph of text which is the prompts and now by the way prompts are becoming more nuanced and complicated and there's different vernacular forming around codes it's becoming codified you use dash iriw iw for image weight you use dash ar for aspect ratio you use dash no for negative prompting you can you have permutations prefixes and suffixes it's getting really i always thought this would happen there's anyone in their grandma can use it fine but also there are people who are going to be really advanced with it. So that's why when I felt that, I was like, all right, I need to get advanced with it. So that's also why I offer workshops, which there's actually one workshop coming up in July. If anyone's interested to understand mid journey and how to prompt and do it in this hybrid way, just go check out the link in my bio. There's an early bird discount on at the moment. But yeah, generally speaking, it's always going to be this hybrid method. And I think at the what I'm really eager to do is fight. This is important to say, right? We're in play mode and you're in, when we're in play mode, you can't really take things too seriously Yeah. in some ways. So like when statements are made about this is going to do this, going to do that, that's how we, that's how we provoke and thought provoke ideas in the human world. We test and then we make statements and then people come and refute those statements and they make new ones. So it's a storm right now. It really is.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that sometimes the perfect stomps are the key for creativity. So I'll try to show something at the end of this, but I'll talk through it now, just in case I get kicked off the live stream again. But basically I've started using, bringing in GPT and into the architecture social. There's something called embeddings, which I never even heard of before. And what embeddings are, is like pockets of information where you can store stuff and get AI to read it. Because actually, ChatGPT only goes up to 2021, and it can throw out some spurious facts. However, if you plug it into your own repository of information, then it gets really interesting. So I've started playing with that, and that's something that's launched on the Architecture Social as of today. So that's what I will try and show in a bit but it's very interesting. Have you, Hamza, started playing with the text as well as the image-based stuff?
1: Yeah, there's so much. You can create your own workflows and use various different AI softwares to, to play experiment, and I certainly have tested. what It's called, What we call it a prompt formulization, and that's what people are calling it. It's essentially where you go into GPT, you train GPT to, to give you prompts for mid-journey and you say I want uh, I'm going to give you a set of parameters like uh, emotion, ambiance, environment, texture, materiality, composition and you say I using these parameters create for me a mid-journey prompt that can show me a proposal for a new shopping center in Malaysia or whatever and yeah. then it will start asking you maybe one or two questions about that, or it will give you a prompt with the most. So you can train it to basically engineer your prompts. Mm -hmm. And that is very powerful. And you can also do it in a way where you train it to say, create a drawing set for me. So then you have these things called permutations, which is basically these prefixes in your prompt, which you can, it's basically one prompt that can become 10 prompts. So when you press enter, it does 10 instead of one. And in that one prompt, you can even have it, code your drawing set so you can say an elevation, a section, a plan, a 3D perspective view, an axonometric. So then when you hit enter and you've engineered this perfect prompt, you've done your concept design in one push of a button, arguably, right? So this is the thing I'm provoking and playing with a lot. Now I will also say ethics And legal caution is really needed Mm -hmm. in this, especially when you're using GPT text. So even with what you're talking about with embedding and now API kind of access with GPT, people are plugging in, like you say, into their own local ecosystem. There's a lot of ethical concerns with that because the problem with GPT, and I think anyone who's experimenting with GPT in practice, be very cautious and go and speak to your (laughs) legal IT people because GPT doesn't even need to ask your permission to take what you're giving it and use it and spread the news. And you guys may have heard of the Samsung leaks, right? So what happened with Samsung is they were entering confidential information in the prompts that they were asking. So they were saying on the lines of, this is the context of my project and I want to find out X, Y, and Z. So they were giving that confidential information. What happened was Other companies were searching for information and GPT was referencing some of Samsung's information. Mm. So GDPR, massive issues, especially if you're plugging it with your own ecosystem and you've got emails and all these things, but also just confidentiality, project confidentiality. Mm. So the reason I'm kind of getting really privy to all this as well is because even in practice, I'm part of the push to understand how we can implement this.
0: Yeah, I saw something in the news, the other day, which made me laugh. And it was someone being like, I fired my solicitor to use ChatGPT and then the information it gave me was wrong and I'm this there going, Yeah, of course. And I think that's the scare that could be a scary thing when if the public goes, yeah. I don't need an architect, I'm just gonna generate some drawings and then it doesn't work. So I think the problems the other way around is actually that you'll always need an architect because they get all that experience which can't be put in GPT. But...
1: yeah, now imagine this though. Now imagine you have a, a generation of architects and maybe this is our generation mm. and the next one that are really fluent with all the AI tools. Yeah Now you've got an archi- a traditional architect who knows everything about standards, right yeah, and then you've got somebody who is a traditional architect but is also fluent with AI technology. Automatically, that person can become way more valuable than the other. The question is, they, what, is, what does it look like? What does it feel like to have somebody who is fluent in AI? And AI fluency is not necessarily, it's not just knowing how to use the tools. It's knowing how to use them in a way that doesn't devalue the profession. Yeah. And that is what I'm really focused on, which is why I've been trying to find this new art, this new expression that is
0: deeply human led. Mm, I love it. I love it. While we hear Lola has dropped in one or two comments saying ethics and regulations around GPT are similar, are ongoing discussions. You're right. It's a hot point. Now, if anyone wants to ask Hamza a question, you can do. And as long as I'm in the room, I will bring it up on the screen. Otherwise, Hamza will freestyle when my Lewisham connection cocks out or whatever. But we keep on going, though. Do you know what I wanted to say? Well, until we get oh, questions coming in, what about, though, I think there's a case for the art form or the perseverance of what you talked about earlier. Designing prompts. Now, that is a big thing and very important because I use it in my business where I have prompts for certain things, this and that. A lot of the manual redundant stuff, I think, can be executed with a prompt. I'm going to put it out there in terms of actual like jobs and when you're looking for a job. I don't think you need a cover in that anymore. And if you must have a cover in I think that's the perfect thing for chat GPT, just to ramp one off when you put in the correct prompts. What do you think, Hamza, for the case of designing prompts then? Do you think that's an art form or do you think that's actually really quick to do? It's neither. And mm. it, I've, done
1: it, I've done it a lot in projects and personal work. And I've created these things I call prompt packs. And it was just, it felt like a natural thing to do to organize the, and archive the kind of the prompts that really worked well and create that record. And what I realized at the end of doing that, like really significant piece of work in that sense was I would go through this process of like, simple prompts then they expand and become insanely complicated and then I've start bringing in gpt formulization and then they become like real yeah. like big organized sets and then it becomes like this big mutant and then suddenly i realize when i get to the end of my prompt journey and i'm starting to get the best results they end up being the really simple ones they end up becoming the really nicely mm-hmm. refined ones so in that sense it's closer to design because that's what design is. Design is the wave of comes, you start your design process, it goes really crazy and complicated, and then you refine, and then boom, you got your. De- so you're right to point to that as design. I like that. But the reason I, but what I would still say is it's a lot more accessible than arguably than design.
0: You know what? Actually, it could, you could equate it to design thinking. Design, yeah, so, I, problem yeah. solving, isn't this? There? Yeah. This moving yeah. this and that. And, and the good thing about
1: that is it makes it extremely accessible to people because a lot of the boundary, the kind of the obstacle people have with getting into architecture and is that, oh, I'm not good at art. And then they end up, and there's a lot of people like that in the field, and they end up kind of feeling they have to default to like these production tasks. And that's, for me, that's a nightmare. That's hell. I hate being on on modeling tasks and things like that. That's just not my thing. Although I can do it, I try to stay away. <laughs> so what I think what I'm trying to say is, What we're pointing to is the fact that there's not going to be job losses net. There's going to be new jobs that get created instead. And we're going to see the role of the architect or the role of architectural designers as a whole evolve into things like, as you said, prompt design. Prompt engineering is what's, there's roles going out now of prompt engineering and this is what you end up finding. That's what I mean. It's an, You don't create the perfect prompt. Yeah. You have to go through that process and journey and find what works. Now, there's going to be people who have tips and tricks to really streamline that and make that really, really efficient.
0: Yeah.
1: And so like now when I get onto a project where I'm starting to use Midjourney, I have a process.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's what I'm going
0: to be teaching on July the 8th and 9th. Yeah, and for that, people need to sign up for it. I'm going to bring in your, your link tree as well, but just a quick reminder before I ask questions that you can find Hamza Shake online on Instagram. He's the one and only. You can also find him on the architecture social, which also then points back to your stuff as well, or the link tree below, which I dare not bring up because, I don't know, my Google Chrome is just exploding during a it's live just, stream. That's great, isn't it? Now... We do have one or two questions before we move on, which is great. There's so many that have come in. So Nikhil brings up the first question, Nikhil says, in terms of concept design within architecture, if you use AI to help produce the concept design, does, does that equate to your idea rather than your own personal design? Because AI is essentially designing for you whilst giving the command of your idea. So it sounds like Nikhil is testing or asking who is the ownership there? Is it because Chat, chat GPT or Midjourney in this case, for example, generates it? Is it Midjourneys? Or is it yourself? Yeah. This is exactly what I was talking about, Nicole, about being careful. And
1: what does a an architect who is fluent with AI look like? And yeah. that architect is somebody who can really navigate using these tools without devaluing the profession, without devaluing our role. And what would devalue our role is really irresponsibly going in and typing in some prompt on GPT yeah. and then going, boom, here you go, client, here's your work. Because you... you it, If One, if they knew that, the client would be like, why the hell am I paying you millions of pounds to do the concept design when you've just done that? Then you've basically given this perception to the client world that architects are doing this stuff. That's why we need to be very cautious. So this is, again, why I say if we use these tools, we need to find ways of human-led AI integration and expression. So that means it's not an easy way out it's not something that, all right, we're just going to push a button and our job's done. Come on, do you even want to live like that? Do you want to just, you want to be on a beach all day pushing enter every day? Maybe some people like that. That's not me. I want to be able to do some actual work. (laughs) So with that in mind, what does that new work look like? That work does look like it's nuanced we're still finding out what that is and what that feels like again i will be touching on that deeply in my workshop i will be i also try to experiment tease out what this new ai workflow looks like in on my instagram through the drawings i do and one way i do that is i've done a drawing where i literally do the digital collage on mid-journey and that in of itself is a very human involved process because it takes sometimes 12 13 hours to come up with the right prompt and then i'd then take it and a photo collage it and then i photo transferred it onto a piece of paper and then i embellished it with charcoal and but w- what was the point of all that it was an experiment and what it revealed to me is that ai can very effectively make your process more efficient it can make your process more powerful yeah but it doesn't necessarily shorten your process it can And maybe it should, especially in logistical tasks, procedural tasks, where you need to create an Excel file to simplify things. Their AI revolution, 100%. Let's press enter on that. When it comes to design and it comes to these creative outlets that humans crave human creativity, then we can't let that become like this super fast, supercharged process to the extent where, you know, (laughs) because then, by the way, the end result of that anyway is... Modification of design there people will what i'm trying to say is countercultures would emerge if everybody is just using ai to do stuff purely ai then every design will become the same and the proof of that is actually what happened when mid-journey first launched when mid-journey first launched everybody who used ai was for some reason prompting zaha hadid stuff so if you guys were any early users of mid journey every time you did an architectural visual in mid journey you would see parametric fabric like drawings so
0: i think we're safe is what i'm trying to say yeah but we just need to be more intentional yeah no i agree with you and jason Thats so a good question, Nikhil. It is an interesting question. Do you know what? It reminds me of what my teachers used to talk about if you put something through Revit, if you let the software dictate what the outcome, if buildings start to look like they're generated by Revit because
1: yeah. Revit likes
0: to That's happened. Thing.
1: You can walk around certain parts of London and see you're in Revit City. And that will, we have a lag, obviously. So even the works that, that's being built today, yeah. we'll see that. People do notice that. Yeah. Exactly. This is again. This is again why I love process and mediums because that's what dictates the built world yeah. as well.
0: I hear you. Nikhil says thanks for that, and Nikhil stick around. I love it. Tobias says hello. My goodness, everyone's chipping in. It's great because my, my computer's not working. Then the audience is helping me. Lola. Is Lola a solicitor? I wonder. Lola asks a very interesting question, uh, which I'm not sure you have the answer to. I'm not sure I have the answer to, but we'll chip away at it. No, I do. Oh, <laughs> better, in a way. better. Lola asks for our audio listeners, who has the legal and contractual ownership of material generated by AI Hamza? what do you think? It's a brilliant
1: question. This is the kind of question we all have to start asking as well when you're using these tools, especially in the practice context. Mm -hmm. I said I could answer it. I can answer it to some degree because I'm not a lawyer, but let's just talk specifically about MidJourney, for example. So MidJourney's terms and conditions are that at least the last time I saw them was that you need a commercial license and there's a special licensing structure for that. Generally, if you're a practice, you need to look for commercial options for your licensing, never go into a soft, your practice will already be following this rule of thumb. When there's a commercial licensing option, then you will have a level of protection, which is standard for commercial practices. And that is that the work belongs to you, right? So when you're doing mid journey stuff with a commercial license, then by the way, I say all of this with a disclaimer do your own research. Yeah, of course. No, I'm not here. I'm not giving you, you advice. You can't
0: here. sue you after this. This is just Don't, anecdotal anecdotal advice. It,
1: yeah. Thank you. I'll say it too. This is anecdotal advice. Do your own research. But the point is you can't be generating work like without using the commercial licensing or any license that doesn't allow for commercial usage and saying that it's your work, yeah. right? There's so many nuances to this, right? If you by the way, if you post anything on Instagram, generally speaking, it doesn't go under copyright issues from what I know. On mm-hmm. Instagram, you're not going to get, because Instagram's got a strange way of doing it. But obviously, if you're selling the work as your own work, you're in trouble, right? But the thing with, the safest thing you could do is make sure you have a commercial license. Make sure you're legally following the right membership yeah. so that basically it protects you to to one to some degree but then you need to be doubly sure this is my advice and this is very safe so you can quote me on this i would still advise people to make sure that they alter the work so when you do the ai work and you've got your outcome if you're ever going to use that in a commercial sense regardless of what the com the commercial licensing allows you to do because i think some licenses allow you to just say that prompt outcome is your work i would still advise you especially if you want to save our profession and our value do something to that drawing work into it hybridize it this is again why i talk about hybrid ai workflows Mm. it's about you bringing pen in and mixing the mediums taking that bringing into photoshop editing it making it more intentional don't be lazy this is a tool it's not a means to an end
0: yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think that's really well said. Just to add a note to it on a flip note, I used to use Mid Journey last year to generate thumbnails because you can get sued for using an image without permission or find. And it can get precarious when you think, oh, this building's, a, this picture's a, of an architecture practice. It doesn't matter. It's about who who's made the picture, owns the copyright. So I've actually used it the opposite way so that I do not get sued. And I'm pretty sure exactly what you said, I read into it, and the architecture social, as it's less than a certain size, can use them commercially pretty much right easily. I think the only tricky bit is if you then start selling it, but a thumbnail on the website, there's no drama.
1: Yeah. Look, this is again, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to give like a blanket answer for this. This is why I said, check the terms and conditions, but if there's a commercial licensing structure that Lola is the, that's your starting point. Yeah. Make sure you have that. If you ever use anything for commercial use, selling it to a client, you need to have a commercial license. And all companies and softwares know that. They'll always try to cater for that. It's important to know the context as well, though, because what Stephen's saying is important, right? Like the, the, these things, midjourney DALI, stable diffusion, these things are called diffusion models, generative AI diffusion models. Now, I don't want to go so deep into it, but like I had a panel discussion with some leaders in the AI space, and we discussed the idea that AI isn't artificial, nor is it intelligent. AI is this kind of anthropomorphised version of a new technology. So we like to romanticise and glamorise AI as AR. There's crazy movies like do that. But in reality, it's not artificial and nor is it intelligent. I'm quoting Neil Leach here. He says it's synthetic, not artificial. And it's information processing, not intelligence. So mm. you should really be calling it SIL, <laughs> Synthetic Info- S I P, Synthetic Information Processing. And what's the point of me saying that? The point is, what we're trying to say is, it's a tool. Yeah, it's, it's a tool. tool that processes information. Insanely powerful tool. So by that standard as well, it it should dictate the way you use it. So as a tool, use it as a tool.
0: Yeah. And just to add a quick note, I think people, especially when they think of AI, the, in architecture, they tend to focus on mid-journey and the images and stuff. Yeah. Whereas actually, I think in terms of architecture as a business, the, it, we've yet to see how it can fully optimize stuff. I use yeah. it day-to-day doing all the mundane stuff. It's really useful. And there's a, I think there's a good argument for it freeing up the time for an architect to do design, actually. Hell yeah. The opposite. Oh, yeah. This is again,
1: another great point because like, where does the AI ecosystem fit into say the REBA stages of work? Diffusion models, which we were talking about mid journey, DALI, stable diffusion, there's many more. Even now they're plugging into there was SketchUp and Rhino and Revit is one called Veras, which is an amazing tool. And that and that's like a diffusion model that you can directly plug into your software. Works in the same way, which is it takes a massive data set of images in the on the web, and this is where I actually Mid Journey for context has had, is still going through class action lawsuits with Shutterstock and Getty Images. Oh, really. All these- yeah they're trying to sue Midjourney. those they're dinosaurs wealthy.
0: they're the ones yeah, that come yeah. i hate Shutterstock. sorry and
1: this is the thing new laws need to be written around these things because it's new territory and it's an ongoing legal case and yeah. the mid-journey seem to be very confident and continue to make updates so i think the point is it's unknown territory but gen- like this is again why you should try and be as safe as you can and yeah alter the images use this as a tool it's google on steroids it's pinterest on steroids but what do you do when you get a google image and you're trying to make a color like you work into it yeah. you wouldn't just take a google image put it on an indesign and say here you go client here's
0: your work yeah no. <laughs> No, I agree with you. And the other thing, because I'm going to bring up one or two questions in a bit, but I also think that once you've gotten a QI for mid-journey and once you've got the QI for chat GPT, I can smell it a mile off. I can smell it a mile off. Yeah. And actually, I think it goes back then to what you're saying about altering it. Like to me, a mid-journey image just as is. I can see it as mid-journey. It's getting more convincing now. But you remember Hamza when we were playing before it couldn't really do people and now it's starting to do people a bit better. But still even they... today, even today you can see the alien fingers. But yeah. it will get to a point, Stephen, where we really will never be able to tell the difference. That is but... that will be a scary day. Even I think, but then that kind of has an argument for then you insert your, shouldn't they say, quite your personalization to bring it back yeah. to something which is more convincing. I know what you mean though, because it's basically, do you remember CGI in movies 10, 15 years ago? And you'd be like, it's a bit naff. I know that dinosaur is not real, but whatever. And now CGI is getting to a point where I'm like, is that real yeah. or not? And I think that's going to happen here, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's, tr- it's scary in the sense that you're, you're going to always have people who are trying to I say this to people all the time like the, there's a group of nerds an army of nerds who are working in Silicon Valley and all the, all over the world every single second of the day to innovate and push this technology as far as it can go and you can never stop that yeah so with that in mind how do you adapt So I would say the way we adapt is we become experts with these tools and then we find ways to build maybe new USPs to evolve our USPs, our unique selling points, our value propositions. And again, I just make the simple argument. End of the day, like people don't see architect as like a business. They think it's like this social and it is right. We have this social responsibility, but people are often they think that architecture is it just emerges out of nowhere. No, it's always a there's always a commercial kind of viability to it. It doesn't exist without commercial vi- viability. So in that sense, architecture as a transaction, right? How are you selling your product? At the end of the day, if you have somebody who's selling a product who's not using these tools at the forefront, they're not going to be as appealing as somebody who is. I will. I, this is again how I always picture. I'm not against AI and far from it, but I'm also very cautious about it Mm, and that's why i have my instagram because with the instagram i can experiment and test and play but then at work it's about being as responsible as possible
0: yeah well said we've got one or two more questions in this world i think clearly every it's on everyone's mind then we can loop back to the book which is great and i want to remind people that you're getting a slice of the Hamza world here in this 45 minutes to an hour. But if you really want to pick his brain, the best way is to do it on the course. And I'm a big believer in as well that in those places, especially if you participate and you sign up and you get your ticket or whatever, you're going to get all that juicy info. But in the short term, you can put a little comment here. So Hamza, I'm going to bring up the link again, but let's just remind people about your event really quickly. Yeah, thanks, man. Look,
1: if you guys go to my
0: Instagram and you go to the link
1: in bio, there's an AI workshop I'm holding. And Stephen is completely right. Like, I've never done a full on workshop. This is a two day workshop. And if anyone felt like they missed the AI train, it's not too late. Yeah. This is why I did this workshop because there are people saying, I, I've never, I feel like I missed the train. I don't know how to use it. And now it's gone too far. I still say there's time. But yeah. it will get away from you if you don't jump on now. And I'm not doing this as a, some sort of sales pitch. I've literally done this in response to yeah. the endless messages I've been getting. So I'm trying to do a two day intense workshop of teaching the, giving a full beginner to advanced mid journey workshop. And what's cool about it is you can bring, I'm asking people to make sure they bring a drawing with them, a drawing or a photograph of a model, bring something you've done that you're really proud of, yeah. bring that to the workshop. And what we're going to do is create an entire portfolio of work stemming from that one drawing, bringing that visual to life in ways you won't even imagine, (laughs) unless you've used it, then you can imagine. And it'll be the fastest portfolio you ever made. And by the end of it, you will know how to use Midjourney in an advanced way, as well as understanding the responsibility that comes with
0: it. Yeah, 100%. And I brought up the Instagram now. I'm going to try it again in 5, 10 minutes, but I'm just bracing myself. Because at the end, if I cut off again, then you can have a giggle about it. However, in the short term, we have one or two more questions because this is just one of these hot topics, isn't it? So Abishka says, hi, how do you think architecture firms will adopt AI? as part of the general design process. Do you have any predictions, Hamza? Of- yeah, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. because yeah. It's already happening.
1: There'll be, you could say like a low level adoption and that low level adoption is mass adoption. And that's, general ai tools the commodified tools microsoft copilot is if you google copilot you'll see that's the new mm. that that is the new I forget the term that's the next version of microsoft so every yeah. computer is going to have ai integrated into it generative ai integrated into it then they call it latent language models i might my, my brains not working right right now Lar- latent or large language models they're doing well right you're doing well right <laughs> LM is basically going to become commodified. Every single platform. You've seen it. Photoshop just yeah. did it. Yeah, you know? amazing. Photoshop have plugged in live diffusion models into their software. It's incredible, right? So that's going to happen everywhere. So we can't avoid it. It's happening now. With regards to craft, and this is why I call it AI craft, that is where I'm really interested in and i think that's going to be much more of a specialized and nuanced approach you're going to see people maybe like myself who are going to be specialized in knowing how to combine human craft and the ai tools and that in of itself might become the next evolution of creative interface at work and i'm certainly working on ways that we can amplify and catalyze our work our design process here even yeah. with tools in a way that, like I said, is human-led. Now that, in like I said, that's much more specialized, so you won't see every firm adopting that technique. You will see those really annoying firms, and they've already started, who will use AI for the sake of AI, who will use AI in a way that just makes the, gives them short-term returns that are insane because they can complete a building from beginning to end in, in I don't know, three months. Yeah. AI will allow for that but I still think those people in the long term are going to suffer because they're going to devalue themselves, they're going to devalue the profession. Because of people like that, we're also going to have to adapt our business and value proposition, and we're going to have to become, I think, much more multidisciplinary as creative problem solvers, and therefore our roles are going to adapt as well. So there's big changes going on, true revolution in that sense with regards to design and creativity, and I think that's the way Firms will adopt AI. There'll be a low-level general adoption, and then there'll be a group of firms who are all-out AI (laughs) fanatics. And there will also be firms who are counterculture, who will be completely un-AI-fied. And they will actually have a good share of the market because I think counterculture is also going to become very important and very widespread. People who go, we don't want any AI, we want pure craft
0: I agree with you. I think you talked to you, touched upon Microsoft Copilot, which I think is going to be amazing, but also could potentially remove personality from the process. Microsoft Copilot, imagine that plugged in with Outlook, and then you're emailing someone who's also using Copilot. So you're having an AI talk with an AI talk. And then, so you send me something yeah. going, generate a response to Steve's telling him to sort his computer out in a polite manner, which isn't too, whatever. and then I go, oh here we go generate so it's got the potential for that however on the other hand all these little emails and all this stuff you know what you haven't got the brain capacity to reply to someone and you can't be bothered or you want to politely tell them that you want to stop seeing their spam or whatever the heck it's going to be amazing so i think that microsoft is going to change office space forever because how often, when you get into professional practice, the yes, you're going to be using Excel. Yes, hopefully, like yourself, you'll be drawing. But I know architects use Excel and Outlook, especially if you're a project architect. So it's going to change the space, isn't it? Yeah, it's un- unavoidable. I would also hope and imagine that Microsoft
1: are also moving in a human-led AI integration manner. I'm sure they've worked ways in. I haven't been able to, to test the software yet, but... I'm sure they've got ways to make sure that it's not just a click of a button and it's all done again. It's about our new roles. The best way I, the best example I saw of how you summarize this is our roles are moving from creator to curator. Mm. So now we're not necessarily there slaving away and doing the iterations. And we would do that too. We will do that. We will definitely do that. We won't do it as much. What we'll be doing much more of is curating. Organizing, and when you use Midjourney, for example, to so get a good example, because you're there mainly selecting images. Yeah. And the senior director role in design is very much a curator. They'll do a sketch, they'll give it to the army of design interns, they'll develop it, and the design director will go, oh, Yeah, that's good. Let's iterate that. Go on, go. On. So we all will get to become design directors in that sense. I think it's an exciting future. I think there's another trope that people think that in architecture, not everyone can be creative. The business doesn't allow for every single person in the firm to be creative. Someone has to do the hard grit work, right? And it's easy to say, yeah, of course, that's the world. That's the way that life works. But just, I've been questioning that more. Yeah. And I wonder what a world would look like if you walk into an architecture firm and everyone is almost a design director. Yeah. Sounds like a nightmare in some ways, but at the same time, If you think about it from a commercial sense, it's actually, it seems quite viable to me. It seems quite an exciting thing to me. We might see mid-size, low-size firms operating like Foster level, Gensler level, which then raises questions of how do we
0: function, Gensler, because we're huge, we're the world's biggest firm. We might break up, you know, who knows? Who knows? Questions. But maybe if everyone's a design director, it's a chance we can raise our fees in the industry. So maybe AI is the Honestly, I do this is again
1: why like you you'll know this, Stephen. Like I could have easily have devoted my energy and my life in the last sort of like decade or so to yeah. standing up for students' rights and this I'm very passionate about that. Yeah. But what I actually I think the root of all a lot of the problems we see in our profession from underpay to overwork to devalued profession to student stress at university and damaging cultures and blah, blah I think the root of it is actually in the architects value being in absolute crisis yeah so that's why I love and focus on innovation because that's where I think the root the solution to the root of our problems lies.
0: Yeah, sad. So listen, I've got you for a few more minutes. We have got a few questions, but I don't want to get you sacked because the AI I've got you 20 got... minutes max, but oh, okay, let's okay. See. I was worried because I don't want to get you sacked. The AI algorithms aren't as good enough to do your job just yet. Don't worry. I'm gonna bring up one or two more questions, Hamza, if you're happy with that. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay. So, Mr. Andy Shaw, the Shaw. As, as I refer to Andy, says, how do you think universities should be handling the emergence of AI design tools? So is there a resistance? I remember there was a resistance when I, I studied. So you shouldn't be on the computers too much. You need to hand draw. But what do you think, Hamza? Is there a resistance? Or in the, so here's sh- what I know.
1: Here's what I know. Because again, in the panel talk that I organized with yeah. leaders in the field, I also brought in students. And a very amazing student, Kat Stevens, who's been very active in the AI space and thought leadership, but she's still a student. And I brought her in because I needed to get the student perspective. Yeah. So it was really good to get that. And she's told us, and I know again from students and professors as well, is professors don't know anything about this, generally speaking. They're busy, right? <laughs> they don't have time to experiment. Usually they experiment through their students, but they don't know. Right. The students know more than them about these technologies, Mm. which, you know, at the end of the day, that's usually the case because generational gap anyway in technology fluency. But what's interesting is universities, at least from my understanding, went from hell no, stay away from that to now being like, I wonder if we can use it in a nuanced way. And I'm not saying this to blow my own trumpet, but I think universities should be using it the way I'm using it in at, at scale. So the way I use it, as I said, is I experiment. And I try to tease out potential value propositions through finding new mediums and new integrations and new hybrid workflows. Yeah. They are, universities are doing that. Yeah, They are doing that. And they should continue to do that. Yeah. And I'm really excited to see the work, the cohort that's graduating soon, have just graduated in the next sort of like few weeks even. I'm excited to see their work because they will have been, some of them will have been lost in the AI world And students come out and they revitalize the work, the working landscape with their insane ideas, amazing ideas. Mm. And I think that has already taken hold in universities. Students are experimenting, they're using their degree. I would say use your degrees to experiment and become AI specialists. Why not? At the end of the day, we're going to see, I think, universities drive the change with regards to the tool development. And I think practices... And when I say tool development, I think there's distinction, right, in AI is tool development and there's craft development in the way I'm looking at it, right? So there's how you can create the right tool. So let's say we, you plug in your own data sets and university professors will be prompting this for sure. We'll be provoking students to say, okay, don't just use AI for the sake of it. Yeah. Why don't you create your own script where you use your own data sets and bring in your own image sources and then you create this new way of using AI Yeah. We don't have time to do that in practice. So we need students to do that and then go, hey, look, I experimented with it. And that's by the way, that's again, that's the value of pedagogy. That's the value of university, that they can be the experimental army of people In, in, in practice. We have the benefit of being with the clients. So we can then go, okay, we're using these innovative tools in these ways, and this is what the clients think of it. So that's why universities and practice need to be working in that kind of really, in that
0: fluent in- interchange. I answered, my goodness, this is easy for me. I'm an autopilot. You're the host and the guest and the expert. <laughs> wow. Listen, we got one or two more really quick questions. Lola earlier, I teased Lola. I said, are oh, you were a solicitor? And Lola says, I'm not. I'm just asking a question because about copyright and material generator because she's debating the role of GPT in their academic works by students and it's not straightforward if a student generates work is it plagiarism or is it just helping how much help is too much help so it's building on what you said earlier experimentation in uni all that stuff how it fits in but where in your opinion maybe is the line then Hamza of enough's too much I think for me, it would be just whacking up a mid-journey pro- drawing and being like, this is my project, probably wouldn't stack up because it's not a robust project. But w- where do you think the, the line is or maybe there isn't a line on when it gets to plagiarism? I think it's really interesting to look at it from the point
1: of, let's say, examination, right? So examination in of itself is changing. How do you examine a person, mm-hmm. right? Because now you know, now we know that there are tools like these that are commodified someone can go and do an entire essay with GPT so what is going to become more and I said this from the start like now what's going to end up happening is vivas interviews are going to become way more important than written examinations because how can you tell if somebody wrote the essay interview them sit them down yeah, yeah. And Be like all right forget your essay tell me about this and worst case scenario they memorize their gpt script and they're able to read it off to you even in that sense they have learned something maybe arguably service level so that's still good So, vivas in an interview so i think in the same way like if you're designing something and now the intention the story the reason you curated it in that way becomes more important rather than the outcome so beautiful imagery is commodified yeah. In the same way knowledge has been commodified We won't look at sexy images And be amazed anymore We won't look at knowledge And be amazed anymore We're going to look at the process And be amazed We're going to look at the ideas And the intention And be amazed mm. So this is what I mean about counterculture This is what I mean about Our value proposition changing The way in which we assess value Has now been changed So in the context of A student who is using GPT, (laughs) let's put it into context. If you write your essay and you submit it to your professor, they're not going to read that and be like, brilliant essay, young man, knowing that there's GPT around. They'll go, "Okay, tell me about this. Tell me more about it. So to answer the question, which is, is it plagiarism? There's a blurred line now with regards to that. There's co-curation, there's co-authoring. Like I said, we're hybridizing things from mid-journey. And you can also, I'll be honest with you, I've tested writing articles with GPT as assistance, and it's bloody useful. Is that plagiarism? I would say no. Yeah, because, the, what it, because the question always comes down to, what did you do with the outcome? Yeah, yeah. And what I did with the outcome is the same thing I do with the drawings. I hybridize it. And I actually believe GPT in, on its own won't write as good as I write. I won't write as good as I would if I had GPT. So we've actually found something that's better than both of us. Yeah. <laughs> and it's actually led by us. And that's yeah. a good sign.
0: Yeah. And I'll build upon that really quickly because, like with the architecture social, it's great because now starting to build up a team, it's still a very small team, though. And yeah. if I get hit by the bus right now, the architecture social, I don't think we'll survive because I need to be there. However, because I'm time poor, I'm getting so getting chat GPT to do certain things is really useful, but it still requires a lot of direction from me. So I think, 100%. I think that's my view on it is like, it enables me to do other stuff with the can chat GPT, run the architecture social if I get hit by a bus, no, I think it's useful and I'll be honest, I use it for. It's just some mundane stuff, relisting a YouTube video I've done yeah. before, getting, or sometimes I use it for grammar or flashing out something better. I put in the cool thing of the bio and then I run it through that. And I'm like, that's better than what I would say it. So let's use that. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think it's important for the for, to
1: clarify as well that we're talking about two different things here. We're talking about the logistics tasks that are logistics and then we've got creativity. Yeah, Both of those things are very different creativity in of itself requires judgment you one it was it's not creative unless someone thinks it's creative it's not designed unless someone likes it so there's a inherently with creativity there's a level of judgment involved in it now what i was talking about before is that level of judgment is now evolving it's not about asking what now it's about asking why and how that's the new creative paradigm with logistics no one gives a shit if it gets <laughs> the job done quick if it gets the job done quickly, yeah, yeah. powerfully and efficiently, it's good to go.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, <laughs> agree. I agree. It's, I think, anything to support the creative endeavors and to keep you doing that should be embraced. Uh, so I think the back of house of an architecture practice is a prime candidate for using automation and AI to make things faster. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to give you a breather now from all of those questions. I think it's a good segue to wind down. Now, yeah. I think we've covered a lot of ground. Let's loop quickly back, Hamza, to the start when I was flurrying to get on and you were driving the podcast. I asked you about your book and I asked you about what's coming up. So let's remind everyone and I'll try to bring the book up if I crash. Just keep talking about the book and talk about your your thing. But tell me about the book, first of all. the the book i I mentioned earlier that the book is
1: a it has two things right there's two main intentions of this one is it's a drawing guide and a non-prescriptive drawing guide so you can go through the book see 18 different people amazing people's works and understand why they did it how they did it interesting and also understand what they did and you can see the process, and that's never been done before as far as I'm, I know, especially not with Reba. So to create an actual non-prescriptive drawing guide, that was intention, and I'm happy to say we did that. And people are already benefiting from it. My hope is that this will be in every university, and students will look at it as an evergreen drawing resource and a tool for inspiration. Right, if you get great. creative block, you can go pick up a book. The other thing the book is doing is making a statement on the new age of social media. And why the hell are we talking about social media? Well, the point is social media has had a massive impact on the way drawings look, on the way we communicate, on the way we use mediums and tools. Everything is digital mainly. And what effect that's having and also why that happened in the context of our history. So looking back, you can see the early chapters. We talk about Instagram as the new interface. And that's written by the esteemed Perry Culper in the States, it was the godfather of drawing really and it was an honor to have his contribution and prior to that there's a chapter which i wrote drawing then and now it's drawing parallels and that is looking in the context from the 70s how people in the 70s had the same bug the same dna to do a drawing and show the world and we still do that we just have we don't do it through print we do it through pixels and then the first chapter is Just saying, why the hell is there a need for this book in the first place?
0: I think it's a great book. It's actually one that now I've seen the images. I'll confess I've been too busy to see everything in there. But now I've seen it, this is actually, to me, and for me it will have to be a coffee book table because it's beautiful images and my attention span is terrible. But for someone who has actually got a bit more capacity than me, this looks like an amazing book and they should actually go through it. So where can they find this book, Hamza, if people want to pick it up? You can find it on the Reba Bookshop or Amazon
1: and, to be honest, like every bookstore, to be honest. But I would say try get it from one of the first two. And if you're getting it from Amazon, please
0: leave a nice review yes. if you liked it. Yes, leave a blooming review. That sounds good to me. <laughs> now, if the book is like a taster, but if people want to have your time, which is valuable in person and, and drill down and questions in a live Q&A workshop where, how can they do, how can they get those last tickets, Amazon? There's plenty of tickets available at the moment but there's, the, there's limited early bird tickets for the mm. AI
1: workshop so this is a really, like I said, I think this is a really important time and therefore that's why I've chosen to do it at this time so during the summer, one weekend, in depth, understand everything there is with regards to mid-journey and how you can use it in the architectural context and art in general in a way that I think will make you stand out in the future because the way I'm trying to build and use this and create value is as a hybrid tool and yeah. that is our future. Yeah. So if you're interested, you go to the link in my bio on Instagram
0: I have this significant discount on the early bird tickets, but there's not many remaining. Ooh, you gotta be, you gotta be in it to win it or log on and have <laughs> a look. Now if this is And the if you're rep- at
1: uni if you're at uni and you wanna do it and you haven't got 80, eighty, ninety quid to spare, tell your uni to pay for it. And if you want me to help to convince them, send me a message
0: and I'll try and help. I agree. And do you know what? A quick note. I used to be, especially when I was a student, dead set against spending on stuff. And part of it was me trying to be frugal. But what I've come to li- realize in my late years, 35, 36, that you have to invest in yourself. And actually, 90 Hell quid, yeah. I think, is not a lot for the valuable information. Because it saves you time. And, and I really recommend it. And also, as an industry, as architects, how can we command high fees, all this stuff with clients if we're not prepared to spend money to invest in ourselves. So I think it's a reciprocal problem, and 90 quid is probably not going to be a lot. So we need to talk about investing in ourselves, and so Hell yeah, that's why I really think it's really worth it, especially if you can get the early bird thing. So now, if people have missed this and they watch the replay, and there might be an event coming up in the future, but Hamza, where can they follow you and... Keep up to the Instagram with your stuff. Instagram, Instagram, LinkedIn, LinkedIn, and please if you're in London,
1: come to the Rocker London Gallery on the 7th of June because there's going to be a crazy event, a film screening, a documentary that was made following the journey of curating the exhibition. It's unbelievable. It's like a Netflix style thing. Someone followed me with a camera for the last year and it's become like this weird, like Netflix movie thing. So I'd love to see you there, Stephen. I know you're trying to come. I've so booked please the come. ticket Man, for your That's free. Film. And that's free. Yeah, so I know. And, that's and there'll also be six or seven of the contributors from the book and the exhibition there. So that's incredible. And then on the 8th, if anybody is wanting to see me two days in a row, <laughs> come to Westminster University where you can get a full in depth talk on how the book came about and deeper aspects about our value in the future. Yeah. Nice. But again, Lincoln bio, Lincoln bio. Everything's there. Thank you so much. I Stephen, thank you, mate. I think what you're doing is so important. And the fact that you've done it so consistently and like it's growing. Those lights are getting brighter and <laughs> metaphorically like honestly
0: like the you're, lights you're are getting such... brighter. You're the David Letterman of architecture oh my goodness don't tell my partner about (laughs) and i'm gonna be pushing that yeah (laughs) i appreciate it i'm gonna say thank you for being the host and being a good sport and also having a nice conversation i'm gonna end the live stream now you need to get back to the office i have to run hamza and everyone i will see you later i'll end the live stream now take care everyone bye take care